It's a joy and a privilege uh, to be here. I, I think the last time I was actually in this building for a meeting must have been easily over 20 years ago, I think. And uh, it's great. It's great to be back. I mean, I've, I've wondered why it's taken over 20 years <laughs> to invite me back. <laughs> and there have been times when I've thought, what, what did I do wrong? Did I say something that offended them? And um, it's particularly uh, uh, great to see my, my old advers- adversaries, uh, James and Matt Bartlett here. Uh, I used to play squash with them. And win. <laughs> I did, didn't I? <laughs> and uh, those days are well past. Um, but they're happy memories. Uh, I'm just going to launch. That's a clock up there. I can't quite see it, so I'm going to put my... Oh, this out. I know it means nothing. <laughs> but it gives some people encouragement, they sell me. Um, we want to look at um, how to move in the power of the Spirit. And uh, I just want to look at one thing, and then I'm going to try and be brief to make sure we have lots of space just to wait on the Lord. And uh, the best thing to do is, 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 to, is to wait for Him and ask Him to lead. You know, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing we can do. I haven't come with any magic. I don't have healing in my pocket or anything like that. It's, it's we're just... We just, we just want to follow his lead. And uh, Jesus in John chapter 5, um, after he came to that one guy amongst many who were crippled and blind at the pool of Bethesda, and he comes to this one guy and he heals him. And afterwards he explains what was going on and he says, I only do what I see my father doing. And in another place he says, I only speak the words my father gives me to speak. And if that was true of Jesus, that should be true of us. Uh, He leads and we follow. That doesn't mean we don't at times press in. Because to balance John 5, and John chapter 5 is ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit for reformed Calvinists. And uh, the one for Armenians is Mark 5, uh, which is the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years she reached out, she touched the hem of his garment, and he didn't even know who it was, and she was healed. And uh, as a good Anglican, I try and hold both, because we like to do hold and believe everything all at once. Um, But if I'm going to err on anything, it's going to be on John 5, uh, because I really believe that we need to learn and keep relearning uh, to see, to discern what the Father's doing. Um, it's not that we need him to do more. It's that we need to have eyes to see what he's doing and join in. We miss most of what he's doing. But anyway, um, I just want to suggest that a key to all this is obedience. Uh, have you, you, you must have read the books because just about every Christian I've met has. You know the five love languages. The five love languages of married people, engaged people, left-handed people, blue-eyed people, um, all of that stuff. And, and you know what, the, the, you know, there's, there's touch, there's aff- words of affirmation, there's gifts, there's quality time, and there's a fifth one. Acts of service, acts of service, that's it. Well, I have a sixth love language, 
I discovered as I read that book, which isn't covered by anything, and that is food. Um, (laughs) Tell me you love me, it means nothing to me. Take your love and put it somewhere, I'm not interested. But buy me a doner kebab, and I know you care. Uh, And you know, God has a love language. Did you know that God has a love language, and his love language is obedience? His love language is obedience. If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, says Jesus, you will obey my commands. You are my friends, he says, if you do what I command you. You're my friends. We want friendship with Jesus. Do what he commands us. That's how we want to we prove our love. The ultimate expression of worship is not singing. And I think singing's great. Um, it's obedience. Obed- and obedience, like nothing else, unlocks the gates of heaven. Obedience causes us uh, to, move in, to, uh, to move with the Spirit of God. And I just want to look at a couple of scriptures. First of all, uh, Jesus' first sign, his first miracle in John's Gospel Um, when he wonderfully turns water into wine at a wedding feast. And we read this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, I just want to pause there a moment. Isn't that typical of mums, isn't it? They don't actually tell you what they want, do they? They don't say, uh, can you bring the shopping in from the car? They say there's a lot of shopping in the car. They don't say, can you load the dishwasher? They say, oh, the dishwasher needs loading again. Well, Jesus' mum was no different. They've run out of wine. And Jesus responded at face value like any teenager. What's that got to do with me? <laughs> in fact, he says, he, in fact, he says, woman, why do you involve me? And you know some of the translators and some of the, the versions, in fact most of them, they've added dear to woman because they didn't want it to come across that Jesus was being rude to his mum. And so they didn't want, no, so they put dear in. If you look, many of the translations put dear. But in the original Greek and in the NIV, they've got it right. It's just woman. And people like D.A. Carson, I just put that in there for those of you that want to check that I'm sound. Um, people like D.A. Carson have suggested that at the very least, this was a mild rebuke Jesus was giving Mary, his mother. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I've been a follow- I became a follower of Jesus two months before my 16th birthday. And it was not long after I became a Christian that I read this. And when I saw Jesus' response to his mother, my hour has not yet come. I thought, that's a good one. I'm going to try that. <laughs> so... <laughs> A few days later, my mum said to me, Michael, go tidy your room. I looked her in the eye and I said, Mum, my hour has not yet come. (laughs) It didn't work. (laughs) Now, Jesus' mum, she could have said after that exchange, her response could have been, don't be so rude to your mother. But do you know what she said? His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And if you want a title for tonight, that's it. Do whatever 
he tells you. His mother said to the servants, and it was a good job she said that, because the next thing Jesus told them to do, do you realize how crazy it was? They've run out of wine, and Jesus says to the servants, you see the six stone water jars? Fill them to the top with water. Now, if I had been one of the servants, I would have gone up to him, and I would have said, excuse me, Mr. Christ, um, I really think you need to listen to your mum. You see, you don't understand the nature of the problem. The nature of the problem is we've run out of wine, not water. We have a wine deficit right now. We've got lots of water. There's water everywhere. Why are we filling the stone jars with water? What we need is Chateau Neuf de Pape. But you see, they had ringing in their ears what Mary said to them. Do whatever he tells you. And the time when it counts is when it seems crazy. Because if we only do whatever he tells us when we agree with what he tells us, well, then we're not really doing whatever he tells us. We're doing what we think is right anyway. There are times when he tells us to do stuff that doesn't make sense. And that's the point of obedience. And that's the place that releases in a key way the blessing and the power of God. So they fill the stone water jars and then he asks one of them to take a goblet of the dirty water to the master of ceremonies. Can you imagine as he's taking it, I'm going to be in such trouble here. But but Mary said, Jesus' mum said, do whatever he tells you and I don't want to cross her. I don't know what he was thinking, but he was like, he took it to the master of ceremonies. And then the master of ceremonies drank it and said, this is the best wine you could possibly have. Do whatever he tells you. That was the place where a miracle happened. That's always the place where a miracle happens. Now if we turn to Matthew 14, I'm going to try and go through this as fast as I can. Uh, Jesus, um, no, that's to Samuel. That's uh, (laughs) the wrong end of the Bible. Um, Matthew 14. Uh, Jesus has just heard that his, his friend and cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And then what happens? A crowd gathers. And Jesus, who wanted to be quiet, who wanted to maybe mourn, to think, to pray, uh, um, he was surrounded by people. So what does he do? Does he say, guys, can't you see I'm mourning? Uh, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, you better send everyone away. There's 5,000 men, never mind women and children. And then Jesus says to them, you feed them. I love that. This is crazy. This is mad. You feed them? Really? Really? Do whatever he tells you. That's the place a miracle happens. That's always the place a miracle happens. And then straight after, and um, I only, I've been reading the next passage for years. I don't know how many times I've read it, but it was only a few months ago, um, actually listening listening to a talk from someone that I can't remember who it was now. It wasn't an original Pillavachi, but I never saw this. 
Listen to this. In verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples go ahead of him and get into the boat. He made them. That's in the Greek, that's strong. It's not like if, if you've got nothing better to do, disciples, would you like to get in the boat and go to the other side? Because remember, four of them were fishermen, and the Sea of Galilee was where they did their job. Because I think they probably went back to Jesus and said, look, we're fishermen, the Sea of Galilee is where we do our job, and we're pretty sure from the weather patterns that it's going to be a storm tonight, better we go in the morning. Jesus says, get in the boat. He made them. He made them. He made them. He sent them into a storm. Sometimes Jesus sends us into storms. Why? Because he's cruel? No. Because it's so often in the midst of storms we find the greatest intimacy with him. It's often in the midst of storms that we come closer to him. It's often in the midst of the storms of our lives that we see the greatest miracles. And we live in a risk-averse world. We live in a world that's antiseptic. We live in a world that's so gone health and safety mad. And it's one thing, and I think there's a place for it when it comes to, I don't know, contaminated food and making sure our children are protected. Absolutely. I'm not sure that there's a place for it when it comes to the life of faith. We've got to stop playing it safe. We've got to stop playing it safe. Because the world is going to hell. And so Jesus sends them into the storm. And they're rowing. And they're, and they're, they're going again. And the wind and the waves are against them. And it's just before dawn. It's, it's the darkest time of night. And Jesus comes to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out with fear. Do you know how many times when we're in the midst of a storm, how many times when it seems so dark, we don't recognize Jesus and we think he's someone else? They thought it was a ghost and they cried out in fear. What's the antidote? The antidote is always hear the voice of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Stay in the book. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. He spoke to them and everything changed when they heard the voice of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and by the way, I, I don't know New Testament Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I am Greek. And so, and you know, as I was reading this, I mean, this is just amazing, um, you know, he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And um, uh, that phrase, it is I, literally, literally in the Greek, it's ero ime. And ero ime literally means I am. Remember what, how God introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush? Do you know in John's gospel, there are seven signs that he is the Christ, the Messiah. You know that there are also seven I am sayings where Jesus fills in the blanks. 
You know where God says, I am who I am in the Old Testament, and Jesus fills in the blanks. I am the bread of life. I am the, the vine. I am the good shepherd. Uh, I, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world, and so on and so on. Seven of those, the number of completeness. But did you also know that there are seven other places, and only seven, in John's Gospel where Jesus in conversation, he says that phrase, I am, and the translators translate it differently every time because by saying I am, it doesn't make sense. So each time they change it. So, you know, if, if, if Jesus, it, for the translators to put, Jesus said to them, take courage, I am, don't be afraid. You know, what he meant was, it is I. One of the other times, it's Eror Ime, I am, is when the soldiers come to arrest him at the end of John's gospel. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And in the NIV, it says, he says, I am he, and they all fall to the ground. Well, what he says is, I am Eror Ime. That makes a lot more sense that they fall to the ground. Seven times, it's hidden in the text. That's just for free. But Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now here comes the voice of someone who passionately loves Jesus and also doesn't have any self-control. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I just imagine from all we know of Peter, he said it with heart and feeling before he thought it through. He was so excited. That sounds like him. Yes, now I see it's him. If it's you, I want to be with you. I don't care if it's in the middle of a lake. I want to be with you. If it's you, tell me and I'll come. And then Jesus says, come. And I don't know because it's not in the text. I'll find out when I get to heaven. But I wonder if Peter thought, oh no. I'm committed now. But he gets out. And he starts walking to Jesus. And you know the story. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Do you know when he began to sink? Um, I, I love it. I love it that he walked on the water towards Jesus and he began to sink. Because do you know what? Every time I get out of the boat and I walk on the water towards Jesus, I begin to sink. And when we begin to sink, we have a choice. There's nothing wrong with sinking. You see, what I've done too many times in the past is, I'm sinking. Um, uh, I've got to help myself. That's not working. Friends, help me. That's not working. Okay, option of last resort. Jesus, save me. You see, Peter says it first. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Listen to this. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now, can I tell you how I've read this passage for years, for 40 43 years, I've read it like this. Peter starts to sink and he says, Lord, save me. When he says, Lord, save me, Jesus sees that Peter is drowning. There's not a lot of time. So Jesus dives into the water 
he does the front crawl really fast. He gets behind Peter. He puts his arm round him, round here, to hold his neck up and to hold his face up. A, a life-saving technique he learned at life-saving classes in, in the, 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 the swimming baths at, at Nazareth. And then he, and he gets him to the boat. And then he says to the disciples in the boat, quick, he's drowning, guys. I can't hold him much longer. Get some ropes out. Get the rubber ring out. Right, put it round him. Now help me haul him in. Haul him in. Haul him in. He's in. And then Jesus gets in the boat and he does mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And Peter just makes it. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why do we always give God an angry voice? Ever wondered that? We do, don't we? So often we give God an angry voice. What actually happened? Peter starts to sink and he starts to drown. And he says, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand and he lifts Peter up. He doesn't go down to where Peter is. He lifts him up. And do you know this is the glorious bit? This is the miracle. The miracle is this. Then... Jesus and Peter walk back to the boat on the water together, holding hands. Hand in hand, they walk back to the boat. And then they get in the boat. Do you know, I don't know this, it's speculation, but I think I'd put money on it if I was a gambling man. I think Peter lived off this for the rest of his life. I think every church plant he went to, every, every cocktail party that was to celebrate a new home group starting in a, some church, they gathered round Pete and they said, Peter, tell us about the time you and Jesus walked on water. Oh, guys, oh, guys, I, I don't know. Do you really want to hear this? Yeah, we do. We can't wait. Well, okay, I'll, I'll say it again. Well, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was me and Jesus. And, and we were walking on the water, and it was weird. It, 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 it felt underneath your feet, the texture of water, but it was firm, and yet it was water. I mean, I, I don't know. Who else could describe it? Well, it was only Jesus, and Jesus is in heaven now. So I suppose it's down to me. It's just I'm the only one left who can describe it. And it was like walking on liquid, but it was firm liquid. And it, it, was, it was weird. And, and do you know, we, we, were, we were walking back, to, we were holding hands. And honestly, guys, to this day, sometimes I can't, te- I can't tell whether he was holding me up or I was holding him up. I mean, it was just the two of us, hand in hand, walking on the water. It was just, it was like we were together. I don't know how else to describe it. John, James, do you want to say anything? Oh no, sorry, I forgot. You didn't actually get out of the boat, did you? It was just me that got out of the boat. Yeah, I suppose it's down to me. I think Pete loved it. I think Pete loved it. If he'd have lived today, we'd have had a book series. The Lord and I walking on the water together. It was crazy. It was crazy. But a miracle happened. And, um, and, and how did the miracle happen? It didn't happen in Peter's strength. It happened in his weakness. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Guys, it's about obedience in weakness. It's about obedience, sometimes even in fear and trembling. 
What does Paul say? At the, you know, what does he say? When I came to you, I didn't come with superior wisdom. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Do you know why? Because God chooses um, the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. James. He chooses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Matt. He chooses the, the things... That's, I'll, I'll leave it now. I'll leave, he chooses the things that are not to, to shame the things that are. Because the secret is this. Guys, get this. The secret is this. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. That's how the Christian life works. His power is made perfect in our weakness. That means, that has to mean, his power is not made perfect in our strength. If, you got, if you're full of strengths, fear and tremble, because you'll rely on those. You'll lean on those. That's why so often God takes us out of our comfort zone. That's why so often he has to send us into storms because it's in the storms that we choose in our weakness and we start to sink. But the wonderful thing is as we start to sink, he reaches out and he takes us and we get to walk on water hand in hand with him. How does this work when it comes to the ministry of the Spirit and being naturally supernatural? I'm just going to take the last few minutes to try and give some hints. I've, I've, been, I've been trying, seeking to try and do this as long as I've become a Christian. Not very, not very well. And every time, I don't know about you, but you, you feel like you've moved on a bit and then you get comfortable again. And then you go back to safety again. And then it's like the enemy whispers in your ear, don't get out of the boat again. I mean, how many times? Don't, don't go for it. Come on, just, just have a break. Oh no, it can't work like this. And, and a few years ago, literally a few years ago, I started to get comfortable in, in leading ministry times as well as praying for people in other places. And I did it kind of mechanically. And then the Lord said to me, about four years ago, um, he, he said to me, uh, Mike, I want you to honor my spirit. And when I say he said to me, you know, like, I, I used to hear people say, and the Lord said to me. And I always used to think it was like, hear ye, hear ye, God calling Mike, are you receiving me? Tablet of stone on its way down, duck. You know, it's... it's <laughs> I don't know if it's like that for anyone else, but it's never been like that for me. Never, ever, ever. The way it works with me, and the reason I'm saying it is you need to know, because I think God speaks to you, all of you, a lot more than you've ever recognized. It's not asking him to speak more. It's learning to discern what he's saying. You know, always with me, it's like, often it's like a thought comes into my head. It's like, that's an interesting thought. Gosh, where did that come from? That's not the sort of thought I would have. Is that indigestion or is that you, Jesus? That's a serious question when you're shaped like me. And sometimes, and sometimes it's indigestion, but sometimes it's the Lord. And the only way I'll find out if it's the Lord is getting out of the flipping boat. 
It's actually going for it. It's the only way. And if you do and you get it wrong, I'm telling you with all the... Nobody dies. Nobody dies. The worst is happens is you look a bit silly. And you know what? When you've had as many failures in your life as I have, I, I'm immune now. I'm, if failure doesn't phase me. But I long to see Jesus at work. So the Lord said to me, the Lord said to me, uh, honor my spirit. And I was a little bit, not offended, but, and I said, Lord, but I do. And then he kept saying it. So being kind of a kind of an Anglican, <laughs> kind of an Anglican, um, you know, I thought, oh, well, I better introduce it into my ministry liturgy. So I would say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lord Jesus, send your spirit. Holy Spirit, we honor you. And then the Lord said to me, I don't mean say the words, I mean do it. And it was like, what do you mean? And then the Lord said to me, you honor my spirit by waiting for him and doing what he tells you. And not putting it through the grid of your approval. So I was so desperate four years ago. My desperation to see the Lord Jesus move in his kindness and his love got bigger than my fear of failure. So I decided to go for it in a new way. And I've been on this adventure of my life. I tell you the adventure of my life. I'm just going to tell you a couple of little stories. And then we're going to pray. Um, uh, I decided that if I thought the Lord was speaking to me, I would not... I would try and just go for it and not work it out and see what happened. Um, about two or three years, three years ago, I was, I was speaking at a meeting, there were about 400 people, and I started asking the Lord to give me words. And I just had this little th- thought came into my mind. There's someone here uh, who gets headaches, mainly in the left-hand side of their head. They're like headaches. It's like a, felt like a fuzzy head. And they come and they go, and they've had them for a long time, and they've got one now. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, the reason I'm telling you this is I want you to know exactly how it works, okay? And how it works is this. I looked around, I thought 400 people, chances of someone suffering from migraine, maybe they might feel it's more on the left-hand side of their head. If migraine, you can have it for years, they might have one now. I reckon 50-50 chance. 50-50, I like the odds, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> Guys, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. So I said it, but the Lord, who is incredibly kind, incredibly gracious, incredibly mighty, incredibly holy, incredibly also, awesome, he also, in his wisdom, can be incredibly sneaky. And he knew what I was doing. So do you know what he did? He waited until I said it. And then the Holy Spirit put the last bit in my head, which was, and it's got something to do with your sister. And he put it in my head before I had the chance to, you know, I was, in the, I was committed. So I didn't have the chance to put it through the grid of my brain. So I found myself saying, and it's got something to do with your sister. And immediately I was furious with myself. You idiot. You were on a 50-50 chance. You had a good one there. You know, headache, left-hand side, had it for years, maybe got one now. Someone would think they probably got it on the left-hand side. Someone would have responded 50-50, and now you've 
ruined it. It's got something to do with their sister. How could it have something to do with their sister, you moron? You, why did you say that? I mean, how could headaches, migraines, be something to do with their sister? Does their sister hit them overhead with a frying pan? And I was, I was just furious with myself, basing up and down. And then I turned around, and there was this lady standing here at the front. And I looked at her, and I said, what are you doing here? And she said, she was crying quietly, she said, that's me. And I thought, she hasn't heard the bit about the sister. <laughs> but I was curious. So I took the microphone away from my mouth. And I said to her, and um, does it have anything to do with your sister? And then she cried more and she said, yes. Yes, it has everything to do. She said, what it is, is it's, it's not migraines, it's from brain damage. You see, I nearly, I nearly, I nearly, I I stopped breathing uh, at birth and I was in emergency birth and they got me out just in time but I stopped breathing for a bit and they resuscitated me and in the, the time that I wasn't breathing the short time I got a bit of brain damage and one of the main ways it shows is all my life I, it comes and goes this fuzzy head on, on the left hand side where it goes numb and then she said and the thing is and she started crying she said my twin sister didn't make it. I lived and she died. They couldn't get us both out. And then she said, and for the last 27 years, because she was 27 years old, I've always felt the wrong sister survived. I should have died and she should have lived. And all my life I felt guilty that I'm alive and she's dead. Well, we could pray for her and Jesus healed her. Jesus healed her more than of migraine. He healed her of that burden. And he knew. And she knew that he knew. And she knew that he knew. And what I saw was his kindness and his compassion and his mercy and his tenderness and his goodness and his perfection. And it was like, if that's what can happen, I'll take nine failures for one of them. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. Then there was a, a couple of years ago at our Momentum uh, Festival in, in the summer for 20s and 30s. Um, in the middle of, uh, in the, middle of the, the meeting, it was during the worship, this thought came into my head. There's someone here who's 27 years old who in the two or three days before before this festival started, had a horrific relationship breakdown. And the person's in agony, and the person nearly didn't come. And so I said, I could be wrong here, but I think there's someone here, and I said it. And immediately, this young man walked to the front uh, from the back with his friend. And he strode to the front, and he was shaking. And he said, that's me. He said, I'm 27 years old, and three days before this, com this conference started, my wife sat me down, and she told me that um, she was having an affair with another man, and that our marriage is over. And I wasn't going to come to this, but my friends, my friend here and my other friends, they said, we can't go and leave you here on your own. Come with us. You don't have to come to any meeting. We just want to keep an eye on you. And he said, I've just been sitting at the back. I've just been sitting at the back, all meeting not taking any notice of the meeting, just telling my friend here about all my pain and all my agony. 
And then I said to my friend, you know what? I can't talk about this anymore. I'm sick of talking about this. Let's listen to what they've got to say. And the very next thing they heard was there's someone here. You're 27 years old. Blah, blah, blah. Two of our team prayed with him for the next three days. If any of you were there, you would remember on the last night, he actually got up on stage and he said, I want you to know I came here in total despair with no hope, but I know that Jesus hasn't left me. I know he's with me. I phoned my wife and I told her I forgive her and I asked if we could meet and we're going to meet next Wednesday. I don't know if the marriage will be saved, but I know that Jesus loves me and he'll never leave me. At another meeting, uh, 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 what, a few, some months ago, um, it was in the middle of the worship again, and this thought came into my head. Uh, there's someone here who's having an affair with a pastor in their church, and, um, and, and I want to meet with them. And immediately I got that word. I was like, for that one, no way. No way. Number one, it's a negative word. You know, we don't give negative words. Number two, what am I supposed to do with that word? Uh, excuse me, there's someone here. You're having an affair with a pastor in your church. Would you like to come forward? Yeah, what am I supposed to do with that? And I, I dismissed it. And this is the honest truth, guys. This is the honest truth. I dismissed it. And then the Lord said to me, it's not my judgment, Mike. It's my mercy. It's my mercy. And for a moment, it's like he opened a window on his heart. And I just felt for it, it's like for seconds, a, a bit of his mercy. I just wanted to double up and weep. And, and I said, I went to the microphone and I said, look, forgive me if this is wrong, but I think there's someone here, you're having an affair with a pastor in your church. You're, you feel trapped. It's not his judgment, it's his mercy. He loves you and he wants to rescue you. Could you uh, come at any time during this meeting? My friend Ali, she'll be standing at the side of the stage or at the end of this meeting or come tomorrow to the chat room and quietly tell someone or find one of us. At the end of the meeting, a 19-year-old girl came to Ali, floods of tears. She said, it's me. I've been having an affair with the youth pastor in our church. And he's married with three children. And she said, I feel dreadful. I feel full of shame. And I, I haven't known how to get out of it. And, and I, I kind of need him. And he te keeps telling me that we need each other and that it's all right. But I feel terrible and I've not known what to do. And then she said, and I nearly didn't come to Momentum. She said, and then she said this. She said this, and it'll stay with me. She said, as I was driving here, I said to God, I said, God, if you want me out of this relationship, you're going to have to tell someone on the platform about me because I'm too ashamed to say. I nearly missed it. I nearly missed it. Two friends of mine, an elderly couple, they prayed for, with her for the next three days and kept in touch with her. She repented. She was at, she's out of the relationship she is being, being restored and healed. And it's an ongoing journey. And Jesus did that. And he showed his kindness. 
I, I, I could tell you loads of these. And the point of these is it's in our weakness. The point of these is in our brokenness. And the point of these is that every time what, what gets me is not the power. It's the love and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus. And I've seen it. We were just two weeks in Southern California. We're saying every place we went, we saw that. Here's the last one. I, 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 I go um, fairly regularly to New Zealand and uh, I've been speaking at a camp in New Zealand for young people that gets about four and a half thousand people. Um, and they, they've, they've not been into the things of the Spirit. Well, they weren't. And then um, a couple of years ago, um, they, um, they asked me to speak and they said I was going to speak twice at this camp. And they said to me, um, after you speak, invite people forward for ministry. But then I discovered what they meant was, I would invite people to an al- the, for an altar call, and then the leader of the camp would stand next to me, and then he would direct them into another room where they would meet their youth leaders, sit in a circle, and chat about why they responded. And I thought, that's very nice, but that's not what I meant by ministry. <clears throat> and I thought, well, <laughs> I'm under their authority, I'm here because I'm invited. The pay's the same. I'll do what I'm asked, you know. That's how it works. Um, you know, you, you respect the authority. So that's what I did. And then on the last, on the last morning, um, the, the leader of the camp said, look, and everything was timed to the minute. There was a big clock, um, everything. And um, the leader of the camp said, look, at the end of the worship, you just get up and speak. We don't need to introduce you again. So at the end of the worship, I got up to speak And I went to the lectern and I stood there and the Lord said to me, don't speak. I want to move among my people. And immediately I was like, no way, no way. And I opened my Bible to try and it was like I just knew I couldn't. If I forced myself, I could have done, but I knew I would have been disobedient. And then for the next few moments, I told the Lord all the reasons why he was wrong and I was going to overrule him. You know, I said, number one, Lord, they've never experienced any of this. If you start moving, you're going to freak them all out, their kids and their youth leaders. Number two, if you don't do anything, I'm just going to look stupid. Number three, and this was the, the one I thought was the clincher, I said, I can't, Lord, because I'm under their authority and they've told me to, to, to do certain things. And then it suddenly, I suddenly realized what I was saying to the Lord. I was saying to the Lord, I can't obey you because I'm under authority. How I'm still alive, I do not know. I do not know. But then the Lord said to me more clearly than I've ever, almost ever heard. He said, they're not your kids, they're mine. Do what I tell you. Well, what do you do? It was like, okay. And I just stood there. And four and a half thousand people sat staring at me. And then after a while, I thought, I've got to say something. I said, the reason I'm not saying anything is because I think Jesus said to me that I wasn't to because he wants to meet with you. And I was to wait, so I'm just waiting. As soon as I said that, the leader of the camp was sitting in the bleachers right at the corner at the top he got up and I saw him start to walk purposefully down towards the stage 
And I, I said to the Lord, Lord, I think you've got about 45 seconds. <laughs> Do you know, I promise you, by the time he got to the stage and he stood next to me, we stood there together. The Holy Spirit started moving in the most incredible way. People started weeping or laughing or shaking under his power or falling down or crying out with joy or just standing there. And the place went crazy in the most wonderful way. And I looked at him and he was standing there going like that. And I actually said to him, I said, I'm ever so sorry. I I think I've ruined your meeting. Can you believe I said that? Can you believe I said that? Would you know, the thing was, afterwards, the feedback, youth leaders were coming up saying, a miracle's happened. I could tell you stories. One kid who'd just become a Christian, he'd been into gangs and everything. They brought him and they nearly sent him home because he was so misbehaved. That night, the Holy Spirit filled him and they said afterwards, we've got a different boy. He's a different kid and many others to the degree that that network, they, they, they decided the following year they do on Saturdays in different parts of New Zealand, um, training days on ministry in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus did that. Did I know when I started waiting? Did I know when I had the words? No, no. I started to sink. But Jesus took my hand. And we walked on water. And you know, there's no greater intimacy than walking on water with Jesus. I've landed. We're going to pray. The reason, I just want to make sure, the reason I've told you those stories is I've tried to tell them as honestly as I can because I think we're all meant, the only qualification you need To hear the voice of Jesus is to be a sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they recognize my voice. Now, we're not all going to do this stuff to the same degree. Not all of us are evangelists, but we're all called to be witnesses. Not all of us are going to have a healing ministry. But I think just about all of us are meant to pray for each other for healing in one way or another. This ministry is for the whole body of Christ. The whole ministry of Jesus is for the whole church of Jesus. We mustn't get back to a a clericalism where it's the few at the front that do all the magic. We've got to release, this has got to be released. The hope for the world, the hope for our nation is a church that rises up and ministers the gospel in the power of the Spirit. In our brokenness, in our weakness. That's how it works. And Father, we ask now that you would do whatever you want. Father, this is your meeting. This is no one else's meeting. And Lord, I've no idea what you want to do, but you do. And so, Lord, we get out of the boat. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Holy Spirit, would you move among us? Would you anoint us? Would you bring healing? Would you bring restoration? Would you bring empowering and equipping? Would you release your gifts?
would you reveal Jesus so that we would fall in love with him again, again. We welcome you, Spirit of God. And we wait for you now. Now just for a few moments, wait. No one prophesy, no one sing, no one pray. Just wait. Just wait for a few moments.